Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. I'm a little nervous today for some reason, but that's a good thing, I think. You should be nervous when you're about to preach, but um, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for just this fellowship, Lord, that you've called us to and how we're going to spend eternity together. And uh, that's an amazing thought. We just give you praise and glory and honor, Lord, for the friendships and the deep relationships we have here. And now as we turn to your word, Lord, we pray that uh, your word would have its desired effect, that we would be washed in your word, that we would be changed, we would be challenged to think new thoughts, to think more biblically, to uh, be drawn into a deeper and deeper relationship and love relationship with you. Just thank you for my brothers and sisters. I pray a blessing upon them today. I pray that you would be the editor, Lord, and lead me in ways that will stimulate us to love and good deeds and holiness. We just love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Lord has given us permission to be excited this morning. (laughs) So, that's great. Well, obviously, from the screen, I want to uh, take you back this morning to some foundational teachings that have... um, been part of the pillars of this church. I think that that's something that God is doing, and the reason I think that is that the Lord led Bill about a month ago to preach on Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, uh, equipping the saints for works of service. That's one of the foundational teachings of this church, and also Jim uh, teaching on the New Testament church about six weeks ago. Foundational teachings or fundamental teachings are important. Probably the, or arguably the best NFL football coach that ever existed was Vince Lombardi. And he was famous for fundamentals. Each season he would pick up a football, he'd get his team around him and he'd get a football and he'd say, gentlemen, this is a football. And that's the way he began every season with all these professional football players. When he took over the Green Bay Packers in 1959, they had only one win uh, the season previous. But over the next nine seasons, they won six division titles, five league champions, and Super Bowl I and Super Bowl II. And after a time... The Super Bowl trophy was named after Vince Lombardi, the Vince Lombardi Super Bowl trophy. There was another man who was also famous for pounding away at the fundamentals. This man you probably have not heard of, many of you, those of you in the computer science field may have. His name is uh, Randy Pausch. He was a professor of computer science at Carnegie Mellon University. He was struck down at the age of 47 with pancreatic cancer, but he was well known for a speech he gave 
when he was sick called The Last Lecture. And one of his famous quotes was this. He said, fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals. You've got to get the fundamentals down because otherwise the fancy stuff just isn't going to work. What a great saying. Otherwise the fancy stuff just isn't going to work. So what are the fundamental or foundational teachings that um, many of us grew up on here at TCF or were discipled in? First of all, um, I'd like to show you 10 of them because many of us have come to the church in the recent years. We have many new believers now, praise God. We have many uh, young adults who um, were not discipled in this church. And so, um, and many kids who have grown up but not heard these emphases before. So I want to take us back to some of the, the foundational teachings of our church. If you were discipled here in the 80s or the 70s, um, these, you'll recognize these. The first is the importance of a morning quiet time. The second is an emphasis on always being involved in two-way discipleship. Two-way meaning you're discipling someone and someone is discipling you or speaking into your life. Number three is be a fat believer. Fat stands for faithful, available, and teachable. How many of you remember that teaching? Faithful, available, and teachable. Um, number four is submitting major decisions to counsel. Uh, we're going to talk about this one in depth. I think um, that's really a foreign concept to many of us. We've really uh, bought into the individual mindset of our culture, and we don't often think about submitting a major decision to the elders or to other spiritual individuals that we trust for prayer before we make the decision. A fifth one is the power of scripture memory. The power of scripture memory. The sixth is be filled with the Spirit. Now we can um, argue or make a case for when you're filled with the Spirit. We can make a case for how you're filled with the Spirit. We can make cases about the evidence of being filled with the Spirit. But one thing we know is we are charged by scripture to be ye continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So that was an emphasis of the past. We are called to be a New Testament church. Again, Jim preached on that recently. No distinction between clergy and laity. In a lot of churches and, and uh, religious traditions, Christian traditions and denominations, there is a distinction between ordained clergy and non-ordained members of a church. And it's sort of believed that if you're ordained, that you become part of this special class of professional ministers. Uh, we don't really want to go that direction here. We want you to see leaders as player coaches, that we're on the field with you. We are no different than you. We've just been given a role or an assignment here that we're doing our best to fulfill. Number nine, leaders are to equip the saints for works of service. In other words, we're not supposed to do all the work um, that we're to equip you 
every, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl to fulfill the great commission and the great commandment. And then finally, practicing the lordship of Christ in our lives. I want to try to draw out uh, what that means, practicing the lordship of Christ in our lives. So on this list, I'm not going to cover them all. I would like to cover number one, the importance of the morning quiet time. Number two, being involved in intentional discipleship. Number four, submitting major decisions to counsel. Number five, the power of scripture memory. And number 10, the lordship of Christ. So let's talk a little bit about the importance of a morning quiet time. And this, of course, refers to time with the Lord and his word as our first order of business in the morning. So let's look at some, let's look at some scriptures together. First of all, Psalm 5.3, In the morning, O Lord, thou wilt hear my voice. In the morning I will order my prayer to thee and eagerly watch. Isn't that a beautiful uh, picture? The believer uh, seeking the Lord first thing in the morning and ordering his day or her day. Order my prayer to thee and eagerly watch. Psalm 88.13 says, But I, O Lord, have cried out to thee for help. And in the morning, my prayer comes before thee. Psalm 119, 147 says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. How many of you, that's your prayer? Just a, just a big cry for help, you know? I wait for thy words. And then in the King James Version, Proverbs 8, 17, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. And then Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 39, we see Jesus' example. I'm going to read that one in its entirety, starting in verse 35 of Mark chapter 1. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, he, Jesus, arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. And Simon and his companions hunted for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby in order that I may preach there also, for that is what I came out for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. I love that line that says, you know, he's in a lonely place, He's seeking God, and the disciples are looking for him. They find him, and they say, everyone is looking for you. When you try to establish a morning quiet time, that's exactly what happens, isn't it? Imagine Jody Mackendorfer with all her kids years ago trying to have a quiet time. This is off the cuff, Jody, so pray for me. And, and everyone's looking for Jody. You know, Tom needs some help. The kids need some help. Everyone's looking for Jody. And so that's how it goes, isn't it? Everyone is looking for you. In recent years, we haven't pushed specifically morning quiet times. We've not wanted to be legalistic, and I think there's some real value in that. But 
maybe we've also lost something. Maybe you lose something if you don't seek the Lord first thing in the morning. Uh, the result can be what Charles Hummel has called the tyranny of the urgent. Have any of you seen this little, this little booklet? Let me read just a, a portion of it to you. He says, freedom from the tyranny of the urgent is found in the example and promise of our Lord. At the end of a vigorous debate with the Pharisees in Jerusalem, Jesus said to those who believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Now here's the line that I think captures my attention. Many of us have experienced Christ's deliverance from the penalty of sin. Are we letting him free us from the tyranny of the urgent? He points the way, if you continue in my word, this is the way to freedom. So the tyranny of the urgent. Brother Gordon has written a little booklet called The Morning Watch, and in it he's quoted Luther and E.M. Bounds and some others. Let me read a couple portions from that book. Um, this is Martin Luther saying, it's a good thing to let prayer be the first business in the morning and the last in the evening. Guard yourself against such false and deceitful thoughts that keep whispering, wait a while, in an hour or so I will pray. I must finish this or that. Thinking such thoughts, we get away from prayer to other things that will hold us and involve us until the prayer of the day comes to naught. Now, if I asked you if that's been true for you, I think all of us would raise our hands at some point. We get caught up in the day thinking we'll pray at 10 or we'll pray at lunchtime and, and things just unfold and we never get there. Another man, Robert Murray McChaney, wrote, I ought to pray before seeing anyone. Often when I sleep long or meet with others early, it is 11 or 12 o'clock before I begin secret prayer. This is a wretched system. I like that. This is a wretched system. It is unscriptural. Christ arose before day and went into a solitary place. David said, early will I seek thee. Thou shalt early hear my voice. So what are some of the practices? If you want to start a morning quiet time or you want to reboot your morning quiet time, what are some of the things you'll have to do? Well, you may have to set your alarm just a little bit earlier or reorder that time that it takes you to get ready to leave home. I think it's helpful to have a place, have the same place that you go to each morning. Um, have a little time in the Word, a little time in prayer, a little time ordering your day before the Lord, and then a little time of listening. Back when many of us were discipled, we used the acronym ACTS. Do you guys remember that? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So you have a little plan for your devotional time, and if you're like me, what you find is you might start with 10 minutes or 15 minutes, but as you're there with the Lord, you, you want to spend more time 
and so you end up going a little longer. How many of you have heard of um, the little booklet called My Heart Christ's Home? How many of you have heard of that? Raise your hand high if you've heard of that. Well, good. This is a This is a beautiful little story of a man who invites Jesus into his heart. And um, let me just read some of it to you. One evening I invited Jesus Christ into my heart. What an entrance he made. It was not a spectacular emotional thing, but very real. Something happened at the very center of my life. He came into the darkness of my heart and turned on the light. He built a fire on the hearth and banished the chill. He started music where there had been silence. He filled the emptiness with his own loving, wonderful fellowship. I have never regretted opening the door to Christ, and I never will. In the joy of this new relationship, I said to Jesus Christ, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want to have you settle down here and be perfectly at home. Everything that I have belongs to you. Let me show you around. And so the story goes on and the man shows Jesus the study and suddenly some of the books that he has are uncomfortable to him. He shows Jesus the dining room. Uh, He shows Jesus the living room, the work room, and then one day the rec room and one day Jesus stumbles upon a hall closet and the man doesn't want Jesus to go into the hall closet because there's some skeletons in there. And uh, at the end, he transfers the title over to Jesus. But I want to read you the section on the living room, because this is uh, pertinent to this morning quiet time idea. From the dining room, we walked into the living room. This, This room was intimate and comfortable. I liked it. It had a fireplace, overstuffed chairs, a sofa, and and a quiet atmosphere. He said, this is indeed a delightful room. Let us come here often. It is secluded and quiet, and we can fellowship together. Well, as a young Christian, I was thrilled. I couldn't think of anything I would rather do than have a few minutes with Christ in close companionship. He promised, I'll be here early every morning. Meet me here, and we'll start the day together. So morning after morning, I would come downstairs to the living room. He would take a book of the Bible from the case. We would open it and read together. He would unfold to me the wonder of God's saving truths. My my heart sang as he shared the love and grace he had toward me. These were wonderful times. However, little by little, under the pressure of many responsibilities, this time began to be shortened. Why, I'm not sure. I thought I was too busy to spend regular time with Christ. This was not intentional, you understand. It just happened that way. Finally, not only was the time shortened, but I began to miss days now and then. Urgent matters would cry out, crowd out the quiet times of conversation with Jesus. I remember one morning rushing downstairs, eager to be on my way. I passed the living room and noticed that the door was open. Looking in, I saw in the fireplace, looking, I saw a fire in the fireplace, and Jesus was sitting there. Suddenly, in dismay, I thought to myself, He is my guest. I invited him into my heart. He has come in my savior and friend, and yet I am neglecting him. So I stopped, turned, and hesitantly went in. With downcast glance, I said, Master, forgive me. Have you been here all these mornings? Yes, he said. 
I told you I would be here every morning to meet with you. Remember, I love you. I have redeemed you at great cost. I value your friendship. Even if you cannot keep the quiet time for your own sake, do it for mine. The truth that Christ desires my companionship, that he wants me to be with him and waits for me, has done more to transform my quiet time with God than any other single fact. Don't let Christ wait alone in the living room of your heart. But every day, find time when with your Bible and in prayer, you may be together with him. What a joy I think it would be if some of us repented this morning, if we changed our mind. You know, repentance is changing your mind and uh, in a way that it affects your behavior. So what a joy I think it would be to some of us if we reestablished or for the first time established that morning quiet time with the Lord. What a joy it would be to us. Let it be. Amen? Let it be. The next uh, one I want to talk about is being involved in intentional discipleship. The most frequent descriptor of who we are in the scriptures is this word disciple or disciples. It occurs 238 times in the, the New Testament, 230 times, excuse me, 238 times in the Gospels and 30 times in the book of Acts. It means one who is taught of the Lord Jesus Christ and obedient to his will. It can also mean a lifelong learner or follower. So as we follow Christ, we're also to disciple others, aren't we? Um, let's look at these scriptures together. First of all, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Titus 2, 4. Let the older women encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. And then this one was uh, hammered into us, uh, 2 Timothy 2, 2, which says, and these things which you have uh, heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I think a renewed um, emphasis on discipleship is an emphasis of the Holy Spirit right now in the church at large. For example, you have... Um, you have books like this one. Patty Eland uh, loaned me this book by Larry Kreider and Jimmy Siebert called The Three Loves, Loving Jesus, Loving God's People, which is discipleship, and Loving a Broken World. You have Francis Chan's book, Multiply, which is, he's, he's written a book that um, they advocate going through it with someone. And it's all about discipleship, this idea of discipleship. And here at TCF, the Lord is leading us to look more intently at discipleship and who are we discipling and how can we disciple in the neighborhood um, through this TCF uh, follow-up class that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Let me read a, let me read a uh, quote from this book about discipleship and its power. He's talking about how if, if we would choose to disciple one individual, a different individual for 20 years, each one for one year, 
the exponential growth that would occur in the body if everybody did that. It says, after 20 years, at just one disciple per year, how many disciples do you think you will have influenced? Over one million. That's right, over a million people in 20 years just at one person each year. Do the math if you don't believe us. After 30 years, the number jumps to over one billion. No wonder the enemy has been hiding this truth from the body of Christ and keeping us busy in activity, even religious activity. Now, there may be naysayers and doubters who are saying, but we don't live in a perfect world. What if it breaks down? Our response is simple. We will take a half million disciples if it breaks down. Our God is calling us to a new level of commitment to the dynamic truth of disciple-making. I want you just to listen to your spirit for a minute and ask yourself, does the Lord want me to more intentionally pursue a discipleship relationship, either where I'm discipling someone or they're discipling me or both? I remember Chuck Farah, um, how we would get together and we would do scripture memory uh, and we would read the word together. And I think I've told you before that he would often call me at about six in the morning, some excuse, you know, to check if I was awake. And Laura would bring the phone and put it on the pillow next to my, my head. And I'd try to get rid of that deep morning voice, you know, and, and fake it and and uh, Chuck probably knew exactly what was happening. But I have really enjoyed uh, discipleship relationships over the years. It was a real privilege to do youth ministry for the 15 years that I did that, and, and uh, the college and career group for a couple of years. And one uh, story that came to mind, again, that I've told before, but I came in one day, and here at the kitchen table were Laura was Laura and a bunch of young women, and they were smashing. Each one of them had a, a naked chicken uh, in front of them, and they were smashing the, the breastbone and laughing and giggling. And it, you know, it took me a minute to process all this, what exactly was happening, uh, but that was a type of discipleship as well. <laughs> Dawson Trotman was a famous discipler. Uh, died in 1956, I think, saving a young boy from drowning, um, was involved in the Navigators for years and years. Too much to tell, but he wrote this little book called Born to Reproduce. And in this booklet, he says, he says, man, where is your man? Woman, where is your woman? Boy, where is your boy? And girl, where is your girl? as a challenge that we're all to be involved in discipleship. Again, I want to ask you to think about in what context are you discipling or being discipled, and would the Lord have you um, identify someone that you could uh, pursue for that type of a relationship? All right, number three, I want to talk about submitting major decisions to counsel. Again, this is a concept that is very foreign to our culture, isn't it? Um, our culture of rugged individualism, 
and our human will. And it's one that we haven't taught in recent years that I remember. Some of the, some of the cultural phrases that we run into are, don't rain on my parade. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. It's my way or the highway. And that all-time favorite of fans everywhere, you're not the boss of me. Yeah. But the Bible tells a very different story, doesn't it? Let's look at these verses from Proverbs and James. Proverbs 15.22, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Proverbs 11.14, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Proverbs 18.1, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. And I've always loved James 3.17 in particular. This verse says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. So, do the reasons for a decision make sense? Do the motives ring true? Do other spirits bear witness to peace or to danger? A godly decision will bear up under scrutiny. Even the clinical counseling world um, has, for many years, recognized the power of community and that we need community in our lives to um, be our very best selves. AA, NA, SA, Celebrate Recovery, men's groups, and so on, women's groups. So what would be some examples of major decisions that you could submit to others for example, a job change or a job change decision, timing on retirement, launching a new ministry, a potential marriage partner, plans to go on the mission field, plans to leave the church, or laying down a ministry. You know, the elders practice this ethic or this, this teaching among ourselves, but we've had people come and they're making, they've already made a decision, and they're just going to inform us of it. And I have to tell you, as a leader, there, there, there's a grieving that we experience when that happens. Um, we, con uh, conversely, there's a fantastic joy when someone comes to us and says, we're thinking about this, would you pray with us? And, and if you hear anything from the Lord, let us know. Um, that, that is so wonderful for us as leaders to be included in an in a important decision you're making. Now, I can guarantee you we are not going to lord it over you. And we're not the only ones. Other brothers and sisters in the body that you trust, do you, do you have the ethic that I will take this decision to those who I trust spiritually and help me, and ask them to help me make this decision prayerfully. 
Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. And especially this second part, give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So I want to ask you this morning, if you've never considered this type of ethic or um, approach to making major decisions, or if you have in the past, but you've kind of slid into this individualistic mindset that we have in our culture, I want to ask you to repent. I want to ask you to change your mind and um, think about proceeding differently in the future and including those that you trust spiritually uh, to help you make significant decisions. The fourth one I want to talk about is um, the authority of the word and specifically the power of scripture memory. Um, you know, I hope from previous messages that you've answered the question, what is the final authority in your life? Is it your own mind? Is it your feelings? Is it what you think the Holy Spirit has said to your heart? Is it your cousin Vinny? Is it, um, is it Fox News? Is it your spouse? Is it whatever? Hopefully you've decided my final authority will be the Word of God. As best I understand them, understand it, the Word of God is, will be my final authority. But specifically this morning, what I want to talk about is the power of Scripture memory. In the old days, we all ran around with our Scripture memory packs. How many of you still have a Scripture memory pack somewhere in your basement or office at home? How many of you still carry it around? Uh, I don't think I see a hand. I know Gordon does, um, and I'm going to start again. Um, and here's my little pack. But um, when Laura and I first came to TCF, we went upstairs to uh, one of the rooms up there that is now storage, and um, we entered the Sunday school class of Bink and Lorraine Leapline. And uh, they were on, they were working on scripture memory. And I got to tell you, I, I don't know, Laura, were we the only ones in their class, or there were some others? Three other people. It seemed like we were the only ones. But uh, we loved that class, and we loved Bink and Lorraine. I mean, just that name alone. You got to love, <laughs> you got to love the leap lines, you know. Um, but we loved memorizing scripture together. They were so sweet and so genuine and so sincere. So here are some scriptures on the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved unto God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. 
And then Psalm 119, 9 and 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to thy word. Thy word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So you get a buddy and you get some little cards and you carry them around in your pocket, maybe just one or two a day, and you just work on it during the week. And I can't tell you the power of memorizing the Word of God. Um, when I was in leading basic with Laura, it seemed like we, we, we did everything but stand on our heads to try to get the kids involved in Scripture memory. And um, my son-in-law, who was then just a kid in basic, Stuart, um, he took me up on the challenge only if I would do 50 crunches for every verse that he memorized. <laughs> so for the first couple weeks, it went fine. But then he got very proficient at scripture memory, and he began to uh, memorize long passages. <laughs> and uh, the time involved in doing that many crunches, plus just the crunches themselves, finally I, I reduced him to 25 crunches per verse. And then finally I had to cry uncle. You know, I just couldn't, couldn't keep up. But is there a correlation between that and the fact that he just finished nine years of youth ministry with about 350 kids a year under his tutelage and discipleship uh, at a, at a megachurch in Colorado Springs? I think there's a correlation. Not, obviously not a total, that's not the only variable, but... Um, I think if we want to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, if you want to be drawn in, if you're not satisfied with your level of passion or your level of scripture knowledge or your devotion to the Lord, a great place to start is scripture memory. Just to dig in, carry those verses. Now, these little packs are tough to find. Um, I couldn't find any at Mardell's. Um, I don't know if Child Evangelism Fellowship has them. Um, I went on the Navigator's website and had difficulty finding them. So you might want to use a little Altoid uh, box instead. Um, they fit pretty well in there. So let's start this again. Amen. And get in step with Bill and the rest of the Bible Bowl team. Amen, Bill? That's right. And then finally, a key foundational teaching here has always been the Lordship of Christ. Um, here are some scriptures on the Lordship of Christ. What do we mean by the Lordship of Christ? We mean um, establishing Christ's Lordship over our wills. Um, I heard someone, it might have been Brother Bill years ago, say that you can't accept Jesus as your Savior, but not as your Lord. He's both Savior and Lord. You have to accept the full package. So here are some, some verses on the Lordship of Christ. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart 
and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And then Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Tozer, A.W. Tozer, has a tremendous quote. I've read it several times over the years. Let me read it again. In every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne, and the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at the bottom of the backsliding and worldliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. No cross for us. No dethronement, no dying. We remain king within the little kingdom of our heart and wear our tinsel crown with all the pride of a Caesar, but we doom ourselves to shadows and weakness and spiritual sterility. Isn't that a powerful uh, passage? So I came up with a little uh, pictorial diagram that has been useful to me, and I hope it is to you. It seems like the scriptures talk about two or three different situations that, or spiritual states that people can be in. The lower left-hand one there is the non-Christian, where the non-Christian's will is on the throne. Christ is outside the life. So, for the non-Christian, his will is on the throne, Christ is outside the life, and a, a, good, a good passage on this is 1 Corinthians 2.14, where it says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Then over on the right, you see the carnal Christian. Carnal is another word for fleshly. Um, you see there that, that self or the will is still on the throne, but Christ is in the life. Christ is in the life, but the believer is still fleshly. The will, his will, is still on the throne. Now, you might say, is that possible? Well, listen to 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3a. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh. He's addressing brethren, but he says, You are men of flesh as to babes in Christ. So, men of flesh, babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. And then in the middle there, you see the Lordship Christian. 
This is where Christ is off the cross and he's exalted in the human heart. He's on the throne and you have placed yourself on the cross. Your will, your desires, your plans, your decisions, where you're seeking God for uh, to be in total control of your life. Jesus said, uh, my will is to do the will of him who sent me. And so it's the same for us. For a verse here, I have Luke 9, 23 and 24. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. I'd like to have just a chance to respond to this word or give you a chance to respond to this word. I'm going to go back to... So, I would like to ask, I guess, for you to stand um, if you have felt of the Lord that you should change your mind in any of these areas. So, and then we'll pray together. Um, the importance of a morning quiet time. Um, if you feel like, I need to reboot that, or I need to start that again, I want to start tomorrow morning to um, pursue the Lord first thing. Before I turn on the news, before I, before I do anything, I want to reestablish my quiet time or start for the first time. So if that's you, would you stand? at this time. Okay, thank you. And then um, number two, if you would like to be um, more intentional about discipling others, you'd like to find your man, your woman, your girl, your boy, or you would like to be discipled, um, would you stand as well? All right. Submitting major decisions to counsel. If that has not been an ethic of yours, it's not been a practice, but uh, you want to begin to think that way, to think biblically about major decisions, be in community and seeking the body. Would you stand as well for that one? And then the power of scripture memory. If you want to start memorizing um, scripture again, um, and uh, have, your, have your cards on you at all times. Uh, I say that to make myself do that. Um, please stand. And then also, if you've never understood the Lordship of Christ and the importance of surrendering your will to him, putting your will on the cross underneath his sovereign Lordship, uh, would you stand as well? Okay, let's, I realize that Many of you, as well as myself, will be responding to more than one of these, but let's just pray together. Feel free to just reach out to God and in faith for a fresh start. Father, we just are overwhelmed by your love and how you continually allow us fresh starts, Father. And so we do pray over all five of these 
Lord, that you will help us to pursue them eagerly. Pray for those who will be establishing or renewing a morning quiet time tomorrow morning. Lord, will you bless us? Will you uh, wake us up with an eagerness to be with you, to be in your word? Not the computer, not the TV, not breakfast, but to be with you, Lord. And uh, we just pray that would grow and grow and grow, Lord. Pray for those who are standing because of a need or a desire or a conviction for discipleship, either, either discipling someone or being discipled. We pray that you would lead and guide by your Holy Spirit those relationships, Lord. And uh, we just, we just want to honor your word, Lord, and be disciples and be disciplers. We thank you so much, Father. Lead and guide us, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we want to submit major decisions to you. We just trust that that will occur over time. And Lord, that um, many of us will have the joy of entering into important decisions with um, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Remind us when those decisions are in front of us, Father, to uh, seek counsel, to be in the safety of the guidance of others as well as our own personal witness as to what we should do. Thank you, Father, that this is not a church that lords it over others. We bless you and we praise you. Father, thank you for the power of Scripture memory. And for those of us, I know many of us are standing because of that. Give us tenacity as we go to work on it. Help us to find all the tools we need, the little cards, the container, and give us the verses, Lord, that you want us to memorize. We pray that you would sharpen us as iron sharpens iron, that we would be workmen with no need to be ashamed. Thank you for our children. Thank you for our Bible Bowl staff, Lord, who are already busy about this regularly and faithfully. And then, Father, we pray for those who are even this morning, for the first time or again, determining to get on the cross, put their will on the cross of Christ, and put Christ on the throne in their heart. We just pray for um, just a sense of release and relief and joy. And uh, we just thank you and praise you for your word this morning. Thank you for washing us, Lord in your word. I thank you for the people of God here. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for the leaders. Lord, we just love you and bless you and praise you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.